Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Once again, I'm excited to share uh, with you today from the Word of God. And uh, we have been continuing to build from the book of Revelation. We have shared over 100 programs. Uh, on this incredible book, and uh, to me, the book of Revelation is an incredible book because it's not like the other books of the Bible in that they all talk about the historic Jesus, uh, but the book of Revelation talks about the historic Jesus, but also the present reigning Jesus. He is presently reigning. He's the greater Jesus that lives and dwells in the midst of us, and it tells us not just what Jesus did, but what he's doing right now in and through his church. What we have continued to show, especially uh, in during this particular segment, is we've been dealing with the uh, plagues of the book of Revelation, the seven last plagues. We are in the latter verses of chapter 16 uh, of the verse, book of uh, Revelation. We will begin today in verse 17 of Revelation 16, if you want to get your Bible and join with us today. But we have showed you, I believe, historically and completely and contextually uh, I believe and uh, compared scripture with scripture, spiritual things with spiritual things, not comparing the book of Revelation with USA Today or CNN, but comparing the book of Revelation with the fulfillment of the prophetic word that Jesus gave and the prophets gave and what would have been the understanding of the Jewish people alive during this particular season in human history. Uh, what, we fee what we see is that this book was written, uh, first of all, to first century. Uh, people. It was written to literally seven churches that were really in Asia, and it was written to those, Revelation chapter 1, that, would, uh, that, that those which pierced me will look upon me, and all the tribes of the land will mourn because of me. Uh, these are the fulfillments of the judgments that Jesus prophesied about in, Re or not Revelation, but Luke chapter 21, when he said, when you see Jerusalem encompassed with armies, these are the days of vengeance, that all things which are written might be fulfilled. So these are the days of the vengeance of our God in fulfillment of the prayers of the martyrs saying, How long, Lord, till thou dost avenge us? And Jesus tells them in Matthew 23 that upon that generation would come the blood of all the martyrs from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zacharias. And so these pouring out of the plagues are the fulfillment of God's final pouring out wrath of the final closing days of the mosaic economy, the closing days of the central, uh, uh, the central uh, part of this covenant, which was their temple and their land, was about to be destroyed and plundered in fulfillment of all the curses of Deuteronomy chapter 28 and all the curses of Exodus that where he says, if you do not uh, keep all the words of this, all the plagues of Egypt will come upon you. That's what's happening to this people in that time slot because that's the people upon whom God gave the covenant of the law. We are not under that covenant. You and I are under a new covenant, a covenant of mercy, where God says, uh, I will remember their sins and iniquities no more. The old covenant, God said, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not. Uh, the new covenant, God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, and I will. I will write my law on your heart. I will remember your sins and iniquities no more. I will uh, 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 be merciful to your unrighteousness. I will, I will, I will. And so we have, what a better covenant, man. Hallelujah. Lord, I just thank you for a better covenant that we stand today with our robes washed white. 
in the blood of the Lamb, and we can stand without the shame of our nakedness because we truly have received your sacrifice. We put the blood of the Lamb and apply it to the doorpost of our houses so that none of these plagues come nigh us. So for the believer, the book of Revelation is what you've been redeemed from, and to the unbelieving apostate Jews, it was God keeping his end of the covenant bargain to give them all the curses. Now, we're going to go to verse 17 and try to springboard and try to finish the at least the 16th chapter of Revelation today. It says, And the seventh angel poured his, out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. We will see in the next verse, verse 18, it says, And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake, and so great. Uh, I put in my notes, we will see in the, this verse the lightnings and the thunderings and the earthquakes symbolize what occurred on Mount Sinai. When God came down on Mount Sinai, there were thunderings and voices and lightnings and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words. Uh, they, they symbolize, uh, the earthquake symbolize what occurred on Mount Sinai, Old Covenant in Hebrews chapter 12. And they symbol, and, and symbolize the fulfillment and the removing of the Old Covenant. The message, it is done, should be compared to the words of Jesus on the cross when he declared, it is finished. It was because of the finished work of Jesus Christ that we are no longer under the curse of of the Old Covenant, we have been redeemed from the curse of the law as believers. We have made our robes white in the blood of the Lamb, and there is none of these things that should come near our dwelling, that they will not overcome us as a thief. Now, what I want to do is, is I want to go quickly, if we can, just, I, I probably have already been here, but I'm going to go over here into the book of Hebrews and maybe just kind of grab this real quick and see if I can connect some thoughts here to, to uh, what we're sharing. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, uh, let me see here. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, I think it is about verse, yeah, verse number 18. It says, For you are not come, you are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words, which voice they that heard and treated the words should not be spoken to them anymore. For they could not endure that which was commanded, and if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned. Or thrust through with the dart, and so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But you are come, you are come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You've already come to the heavenly Jerusalem. You've already come to the city of the living God. Abraham was looking for a city in chapter 11, but we've come to it in chapter 12. And the contrast here is Sinai was the mount above this where he says, For you have not come to the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire door to blackness and darkness and tempest and all of the sounding uh, uh, words that were spoken that they could not endure. Uh, that's if so much as the beast touched the edge of the mountain, it would be thrust through with the dark. In Hebrews 12, he's telling these Hebrews. Now, I, this is incredible to me, but Hebrews is written probably about three and a half to four years before all of these catastrophes that we've already shared. And the book of Hebrews is one of the most incredible legal treaties of how they need to, these Hebrews need to move from an old covenant paradigm to a new covenant paradigm because the whole book of Hebrews is telling you what is better about the new covenant as compared to the old covenant. There's better blood, there's better promises, there's a better tabernacle, uh, there's a better priest it's better than angels. It's better than Moses. It's better than a physical promised land. It's a promised land called rest. And by the time you get to Hebrews 12, he says to them, now listen, 
You've not come to a mount that can be touched. Now that really rang in my spirit over the summer months this year. Because what, we, what these Jews were looking for is the tangibleness of the smell of the burning sacrifices. The tangibleness of a physical, literal mountain that was on fire. They were looking for the tangibleness of the baking of the bread and the lighting of the candles of this whole old covenant system that was fading off of the scene. And Paul's trying to tell them, listen, we've not come to something that you can touch. In other words, we've come to a not a physical tabernacle, we've come to a spiritual tabernacle. We've not come to physical blood of bulls and goats, we've come to a sacrifice that's better than that. We've come to a priesthood that's not after Levi, but it's better than Levi, it's after the order of Melchizedek. None of these things are tangible, so to speak, uh, but they are invisible. Matter of fact, Moses endured as seeing him who was invisible, and so he's trying to get them to shift from wanting to go back to the tangibleness of an old covenant uh, that was full of the smoke and the the smell and the sounds and the fear and the trembling and all of this stuff. And he says, you did not come to a mount that can be touched, including you haven't come to a literal Jerusalem, but you have come to the new Jerusalem. You have come to the city of the living God. You have come to Mount Zion. And Zion, in contrast to Sinai, is Sinai is the old covenant. Zion is the new covenant. We shared that when we were talking about uh, uh, Revelation 14. There was a lamb on Mount Zion. They weren't on Sinai, they were on Mount Zion, which is a picture of the new covenant. So you've not come to that kind of a mountain. You've not come to a place where you've got to stay away with fear and trembling. Now, for those who were believers, uh, they were coming to a better place, but uh, it goes on to say, uh, but, but he goes on to say, but you are come, verse 22, under Mount Zion and under, and under the city of the living God. That's not my opinion. Your Bible says you have come to Mount Zion and you've come to the city of the living God. You've come to the heavenly Jerusalem and to an innumerable company of angels, literally a feastal gathering of angels, to the general assembly of the church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. You've come to that. And you've come to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You and I have been washed in the blood. That's why we've kept our garment, and that's why we've washed and kept our garment of righteousness so that none of these plagues come nigh our dwelling. And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaks. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who's talking from heaven. He said, don't, if, don't refuse him who's speaking. In other words, God is speaking to them from this new covenant paradigm. And he's saying to them, uh, if they didn't escape who uh, God talked to on earth when he gave them the commandments and the laws on Mount Sinai, they didn't escape. How much more will we not escape if we walk away from this new covenant being offered to us? Don't refuse him who's speaking from heaven. I could say that, listen, I believe the Lord's speaking from heaven through this ministry. And I would say to you, refuse not him who speaks from heaven. God's trying to offer you a better sacrifice and a better promises and a better covenant. But if you want to maintain and stay under that old covenant and receive the promises and the blessings that, and the cursings, that's up to you. But I thank God that I've been redeemed from the curse of the law and that this stuff is not in my future. It is in my past. That's why it's called the last plague. Now watch this. See this, refuse not him that speaks for that they escape not who refused him that spake on earth. How much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him that speaks from heaven? Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth, but also heaven. 
And this word yet once more signify the removing of those things that are shaken as of the things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Everything that was being shaken in Hebrews chapter 12 was the old covenant. It was the old covenant temple. It was the old covenant system. It was the old covenant priesthood. It was the old covenant Jerusalem. These things are all what he was talking about is being shaken. And he said everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken so that what remains only that cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we're receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. So we have received a kingdom that cannot be moved. And all the shaking and lightnings and earthquakes and voices is the removing of that old covenant paradigm so that you and I have come into a kingdom which cannot be shaken because what remains is kingdom. What's destroyed is not. God is shaken everything that can be shaken. The heavens and the earth were shaken here in the book of Revelation. And it's dealing with that old covenant, temple, land, and system. That was the old heaven and the old earth, and it was being shaken and divided by a mighty earthquake. And even the fire, our God is a consuming fire. The fire that was about to come within just a very short while of the book of Hebrews was exactly what was coming as God judges this great harlot and the city of Jerusalem with its old covenant, uh, trying to keep its old covenant, was totally dismantled so they couldn't go back to it if they wanted to. Now, uh, I'm going to read this from my notes. For We are told that there was a great earthquake, greater than any other in history. The writer of Hebrews notes that a great earthquake in both heaven and earth would take place with the dissolution or the dissolving of the old covenant. That's in Hebrews 12, verse 26 through 28, and also in Hebrews 8, verse 13. Uh, as we saw also in Revelation 4, verse 5, and 8, verse 5, and 11, 19, the cosmic phenomena here of flashes of lightning and rumbles and peals of thunder mirrors the phenomena that occurred when Moses delivered the law to the Israelites on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. The significance of this parallel is that Jerusalem's destruction, along with the temple, completed the transition from Judaism the Old Covenant, to the New Covenant. And the great city, next verse, was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Verse 19, it should be noted that the city was broken up into three parts. This can only mean Jerusalem. This is a reference to Ezekiel chapter 5 verse 1 through 12, where the prophet is required to shave his head and divide into three parts, uh, just divide it into three parts, and was told by God, this is Jerusalem. One-third was burned, one-third was chopped up by the sword, and the last third was scattered into the wind. This happened historically in 536 B.C. Some were burned inside the city, some were slain with swords by the Babylonians, and the remaining were scattered among the nations. The city was again divided like this, again. I believe that that first dividing was a picture. It was in a historic, literal Babylon. This one is happening in context of a spiritual Babylon, a religious confusion, a harlot system, a harlot and apostate city. How has the faithful city become a harlot? This happened, but uh, uh, it says the city was again divided like this. Watch this. In 70 AD, Josephus and also the early church writer Eusebius tells us that 1.1 million Jews were killed in the burning of the second temple. And Jerusalem, uh, some due to fire and some due to the sword. And uh, uh, just as 586 BC, those who arrived were sold into slavery. 
All, the, all above the age of 17 were sent into chains into Egypt to be employed there as slaves or distributed throughout the empire to be sacrificed as gladiators and the amphitheaters, whilst those who were under this age were exposed to being sold. Uh, Philip Carrington in 1931 noted an additional means of fulfillment also to this vision. Uh, this is from Philip Carrington's notes in 1931. Also, this came, I think, from the uh, book. My source is, uh, for this is uh, Revelation 4 Views. Uh, this refers to the division, this is quoting Philip Carrington, this refers to the division in three factions which came, became acute after the return of Titus. Titus was the Roman general that came to siege the city. And while Titus was besieging it from without, the three leaders of the three rival factions were fighting fiercely within but for this city might be staved off defeat for a long time, even perhaps indefinitely, for no great army could support itself for the long in those days, for that long in those days in the neighborhood of Jerusalem. There was no water, no supplies. The fighting within that city delivered it quickly into the hands of Titus. So they were divided also into three factions and were fighting inside themselves as bad as they were on the outside. What is amazing to me is these people couldn't even be unified inside the city during this particular siege, but they were all, you know, in fights between the different factions and just so deceived that it was like you talk about a strong delusion. I mean, you talk about a strong delusion. These people had been sent such a strong delusion that they believed this lie to the, I mean, to the demise of their whole city and nation. This refers, I just read that. The three factions were led, number one, by Eliezer, who was over the zealots. Number two, John of uh, Geshela, who was also over the Galileans. And number three, Simon, who was over the Edomians. It remained this way until the city was destroyed. The conditions were awful. In one night, 8,500 people were killed and their bodies were cast outside of Jerusalem without being buried. The outer temple was overflowing with blood, says Josephus, and the inner court even had large pools of blood in it. Homes and grave sites were looted. And then the uh, verse 20 says, After that, and every island fled away and the mountains were not found. There is no place to hide from the wrath of the Lamb is what this signifies to me. In verse number, as he reads the next verse, and every island and every mountain fled away and were not found. There was no more place to hide. I mean, it was no escaping now. And if you remember Revelation 6, verse 14 through 7 says, And the heavens departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island removed out of their place. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the cheap captains and the mighty men and every bondman, every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks, said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come. There's no more place to hide out. It's no more escaping. The judgment of God is here. It is at its fullness and it is being poured out and fulfilled just like he said it would. Uh, Verse 21, I believe is the, maybe, let's see, maybe the last verse of this chapter, but it says, And there fell, upon, there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And man, men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Now Josephus uh, says in, in response to verse, uh, or this is in my notes, in response to verse 21 from Josephus, says, Josephus gives us great insight into these hailstones, weighing about 100 pounds. 
he wrote of large stones being shot from catapults by the Roman armies, which the watchmen in the city reported as appearing white in the sky. Now that came from uh, Revelation 4 Views, edited by uh, Greg. And, uh, and, 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 and uh, uh, so uh, Josephus literally requires that there were hailstones that were being catapulted in the slingshot type things from the Romans, which were in sight like unto, they were great hailstones weighing a uh, uh, hundred pounds each. Can you imagine rocks coming at you at that kind of a, a weightage, that kind of, the 10th legion of the Romans began to launch white boulders. This is uh, from this, this uh, commentary as well. Uh, the legion Romans began to launch white boulders as heavy as 100 pounds over the city walls into Jerusalem. They cast by catapults from Roman engines from a distance of up to two furlongs or a quarter of a mile away. Josephus records that the watchmen on the wall, if they saw them coming, would shout, listen, this is powerful. The watchmen on the wall, when they would see these incoming stones that were white of hail coming, would holler out, the sun cometh, S-O-N, the sun cometh. That's in Josephus' writings that they would ho holler that at. After a while, the Romans learned to blacken the stones so that they couldn't easily be detected, and thus many were crushed by these white stones. I mean, this is the whole reign of these hailstones. J. Stuart Russell, which also wrote a book called The Perusia, which I think is one of the great volumes to read that has a lot of the fulfillment stuff. It's probably one of the volumes that added more to me than any other book that I've read on the fulfillment of these prophetic words. J. Russell Stewart uh, wrote in, this, in his book in 1878 called The Perusia. He offers this expl explanation. Uh, for the watchman, for the words of the watchman uh, from Josephus, he said, It could not be but well known to the Jews that the great hope and faith of the Christians was the speedy coming of the sun. It was about this very time, according to Hegesippus he 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 at 110 to 180 AD, that St. James, the brother of our Lord, publicly testified in the temple that the Son of Man was about to come in the clouds of heaven and then sealed his testimony with blood in 62 AD. It seems highly probable that the Jews in their defiant and desperate blasphemy when they saw the white mass hurling through the air raised the rabble cry, the sun is coming, in mockery of the Christian hope of the Perusia. They were probably uh, doing it in mockery of uh, the hope of the Christians that the sun was in fact coming. Remember that all these plagues are poured out upon a harlot who we shall see uh, as we continue, the harlot is apostate Israel. And Revelation 17, verse 1, it says, There came one of the seven angels which had the seven vows and talked with me, saying, Come hither. I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sets upon many waters. And in Revelation chapter 14, verse 8, And there followed another angel, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, is fallen, the great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And again, and Revelation 18, verse 2, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, I know I've read a lot to you from my notes, but I wanted to get it to you historically accurate. The great hailstones, the men being scorched with great heat, blood flowing to horses' bridles, the great battle of Armageddon, the pouring out of all of these plagues and vials, the locust, and on and on it goes. 
have all been the fulfillment of what God promised in His covenant to the Jews in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Go and read all of those. God kept His end of the covenant bargain. Here's the good news. You and I are not up under the law. Thank God that this is not in our future, that God, and I believe that if God could have found any other way, I believe He gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent. And yet they repented not of their ungodly deeds, which they had ungodly committed. And I mean, they had become so stubborn and so rebellious and so apostate from the things of God that God said, the only thing I've got left is to keep my end of the covenant bargain and give you these judgments and scatter you abroad upon all the nations of the earth. The next few chapters, again, these plagues, these trumpets, even, even from, the, see, from the seventh seal being opened up, everything happened uh, during the operation of the seventh seal. I, when the seventh seal was opened, seven trumpets sounded. Out of seven trumpets, seven bowls of blood sound. So these are all catastrophes and judgments that are coming as a result of what Revelation calls the wrath of the Lamb has come. And so this is God pouring out again his judgments, and he is in fulfillment. And let me tell you, when, when Caiaphas and the religious leaders of that day saw every word that Jesus prophesied come to pass, when he told Caiaphas, from henceforth you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, Caiaphas tore his clothes, rent his clothes, said, what need do we have further of anything else? This man has blasphemed. Because what he knew was in the, in the understanding of the Jewish mind is any time you talk about a coming in the clouds, you're talking about deity. You're talking about God coming in judgment upon an apostate nation. So when you see every word of a Jesus being fulfilled to, uh, in 70 AD and through this period of time, in the book of Revelation, especially the latter part of it from 65, 66 A.D., somewhere in there to 70 A.D., is in absolute fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen, that all the tribes of the earth would mourn, they which pierced him would look upon him, that this would be the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, that Jesus was in fact divinity that he was exactly who he said he was, and that's why Caiaphas ran his clothes, is because Jesus was identifying himself as being part of God. Hallelujah. And so these judgments already took place, and they will continue on the great harlot, and we'll talk about that in the next segments. God bless you. Take a few moments to call that number on the screen. Please sow something into the ministry. Help us continue to take the gospel of the kingdom around the world. Come see us in one of our meetings. Our itinerary is on the website. We travel all the time. We're coming to a city near you. Come meet us somewhere and uh, talk with us. We love you. God bless you. Thank you again for tuning in every week. God bless. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.